0: So, start off uh, by talking about something that may stir up some emotions. I understand this, but it needs to be said so we can understand the message today. We all grew up trying to please our parents. That's a fact of life. We grew up trying to please our parents, and every child desperately seeks their parents' love and acceptance. It's truly in our human nature to desire this love from those that care for us, that those that raise us. And as you grew up, you learned what it took to get their love. Think about that. Day after day, experience after experience, you learned how to get your parents love. And for some of you, your parents taught you that love is conditional. That you had to earn their love. And when you did what they expected, they loved you. When you didn't do what they expected you to do, they didn't love you. And I'm going to be honest, I, I think this is a sad reason that there are many fractured relationships that people have with their parents today because this is the root, because love was conditional growing up. Now, some of you, you may have grew up in a different atmosphere, a different home, and you were taught love's unconditional. doesn't matter whether you do good or whether you do bad. Your parents still loved you. So your actions did not dictate their love for you. And I say this, again, not to stir up the emotions, because I say it because I want to help you with your relationship with God. You see, I I think that God is your Heavenly Father, isn't he? Isn't that what the Bible calls God, our Heavenly Father? And I wonder, how do you understand your Heavenly Father's love for you? How do you understand God's love for you? It could very well be the same way you understand your parents' love for you. You see where I'm going with this? You see, if your whole life you grew up in a conditional love home, then you might be trying to get your love from God in a conditional way as well. You may be trying to earn your love from God. And that's not what you should do. It's possible that you think your actions will determine God's love for you. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you know and you've read the whole Bible and you've, been heard, you've heard a million sermons on it and you, you read it yourself and you know what the Bible says. You know it says God's love is unconditional. You sang about God's love being unconditional. Yet you've learned your whole life, that God's love is conditional. And it's really hard to overcome that, isn't it, if that's your situation. Will God love you based on a condition? That's the question that we tend to ask over and over and over again. And here's my point. If your relationship with God is based on conditional love, then you need a correction. You need a correction. And I'm so glad you're here today. Because if you grew up in a home, if you grew up in a situation where love was always conditional, you felt like you always had to earn your parents' love, then you need a correction. You need to renew your mind with the truth of God's word. And that's what we say all the time. You renew your mind with God's word, and you live, you need to live by a new promise. And that promise is God's love is unconditional. God loves you no matter what, and you need to receive that love. You see, the Bible has two great promises For all people. The promises are that of works and that of grace. And the word for promise, the same word for promise, the Bible word, is the word covenant. Which is why I titled this particular message, The Covenants of Works and Grace. And my goal is to show you that you can either live by works or you can live by grace. You can try to earn God's love by your works, or you can simply receive God's love by his grace. And I want you, as your shepherd, as your pastor, to live by grace. I want you to receive God's love every day. I want to show you that it's so much better to live by grace and not by works. What a great life it is to simply receive God's love. Let's pray. Father, help us today to hear your words. Help us today, Lord, to uncover and dig down and dig up those roots of of mistrust and, and, and things that aren't true. And help us replace them with truth that comes from your word. Teach us today through your Holy Spirit. May our eyes be open, our ears have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you probably know the Bible has two parts. The beginning part's called the Old Testament, and the second part's called the New Testament. But did you know that the word testament is the same word or a synonym of covenant, promise? So, really, in essence, you have the first half of the Bible, or the first part of the Bible, is the Old Covenant, and the second part's the New Covenant. The Old Testament, the New Testament. It's kind of like saying the same thing the Old Promise and the New Promise. But here's an interesting question. If you were asked to explain the Old Covenant, could you? If someone said, you know what, I don't really understand the Old Covenant, could you explain that to me? Where would you begin? How would you do that? I think a lot of people would begin in the book of Exodus, or perhaps Leviticus, or Numbers, or Deuteronomy, and you would focus on the law of Moses. The law of Moses, because most Christians see the Old Covenant as the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We've been talking about it for a while around here. It's 600 plus commandments. If you're a follower of Judaism today, you're still following these 600 plus commandments. They kind of categorize into the civil, the moral, and the ceremonial laws. So they have all of these laws that make up the law of Moses, and most people think that the Old Covenant is just the law of Moses. You've been hanging out with us for a little bit, maybe. If you've been hanging out since November 6th, 2022, then you have been hanging out with us the whole time we've been studying Exodus. That's how long we've been in it, almost seven months. Can you imagine that? You guys have been sticking around in a book in the Old Testament. For those that say, oh, I'd never read the Old Testament, you've been, hang- you've been learning about it for seven months and you're still here. Give yourself a hand for that. That's really impressive. But is the Old Covenant just the law that was given to Moses? Is that where we should start? And I I think it is not where we should start. I think that it goes before that. I think the Old Covenant is more than just the law of Moses. And I want to take you to the beginning. I want to take you to when God created Adam and Eve. And I want to take you to the very first promise that we see in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 2. It's in verses 16 and 17. It'll pop up on the screen, and I just love that I heard pages turning just now. That is music to a pastor's ears. But in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, God makes a promise to Adam. He says this, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. They lived in a nice, lush garden, lots of food, lots of trees, lots of fruit, lots of vegetables, and they could eat from any tree of the garden except, verse 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, do not eat from this tree, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So there it is, the first promise in the Bible. The promise is to Adam If you obey me perfectly, you never eat from this tree, you will live forever. If you disobey and you eat just once from this tree, you will not live forever, you will die. That was God's promise. And God doesn't make willy-nilly promises. God is going to follow through on his promise perfectly. And what happened to Adam and Eve? Did they obey? No. They didn't, sadly. And so what we see here is, is that the covenant of works, the covenant of works earned them earthly death. The covenant of works is right here in the beginning. We fast forward a little bit in the book of Genesis to Genesis 6, and we see this guy named Noah. Noah. Noah was considered to be a righteous man. Everybody else, not so Righteous. In fact, it says that God was deeply grieved in his heart because of how corrupt mankind had become. So out of all the people that were in the the world at that point in time, every single one of them were turning against God or turning away from God. The only one was Noah. And so based on this covenant of works, this promise that God had made from the beginning, God flooded the earth. Except before he did that, he said, "Hey Noah, build me a little boat called the Ark." And uh, I know Mike and Beth just were there visiting, uh, or n- near the I think the Creation Museum. Did you guys go to the Ark too? Yes. So the Ark is uh, a life-size replica of the Ark exists in Kentucky, and if you you can go there. But um, the the uh, uh, the the whole Earth was destroyed with the flood. Everyone. Um, was, was gone except Noah and his family and a whole lot of animals. Can you just imagine the smell on the ark? I, I, just, that's, I think of that every time. I don't know why. So then there's Moses. Moses now, we go to Moses, and we see that Moses was the leader of a specific nation of people that came from Abraham. And Moses was leading this people, and through Moses, God took this covenant of works and he put it into writing. He literally set it in stone. I'm convinced this is where the expression comes from. You know, the, the God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. He set it in stone. How many of you have ever said that before? Right, yeah, that's where it comes from. He gave Moses all the other commandments. Moses put them in this Book of the Covenant, he called it, and he would read these to the people, and basically the rest of the Old Testament, if you want the cliff notes of it, The rest of the Old Testament shows that this nation of people, roughly two and a half million at this time in Exodus, are trying to live by the covenant of works. You do this, good. I mean, here, I'll read it to you, Exodus 19. So if you go to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, this is God telling Moses to tell the people this. He says, now therefore, and you'll notice the promises, it's a conditional promise if it says, if then. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. This nation, you shall be, for me, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God is big-time serious about being holy, set apart. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, this nation is reminded, if you do good works, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, then you're going to suffer the consequences. And they had great times of blessings. I mean, King Solomon was the, the wealthiest. I mean, David set them up beautifully. And I mean, they were the, the most, uh, the, probably the wealthiest and the most powerful empire ever. And then there was the downfall, because they disobeyed, because Solomon's son, and so on and so forth. But it's all based on this covenant of works. The old covenant is the covenant of works. And in the beginning, we see it's conditional. It's a conditional promise. Of course, it's formalized. That's why I think most people think of the old covenant as the law of Moses. But really, the law of Moses comes from... The covenant of works. So that's what I'm trying to get you to see through those lenses. The, the two promises are the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, which is coming. But this covenant of works, Moses had to mediate it for the people. Um, when we get into Exodus and, I, and you study chapters 19 through 24 and, I, and then you keep going, it's kind of interesting because Moses climbs Mount Sinai like seven times i'm starting to wonder if he had like all the gear you know where he started he's the mountain climbing mediator i mean he is climbing this mountain seven eight times and he's getting the law from god and when he gets it he he shares it with the people now there's a reason why moses has to be the mediator if you remember when we talked about the ten commandments the first time god gave them, for those of us that were around how did God give the commandments the first time? On Exodus 20, he spoke them. He told the people. He gathered them around the mountain. And he, I mean, it was, it was so scary for them. They saw the awe. And that's what the title of that message was, the awe on Mount Sinai. They saw the awe of God, and they literally said to Moses, please, please. You talk to God, and you tell us what he says because it's too much for us. So Moses mediates between God and man. In fact, Moses was a priest, and his brother, his older brother, Aaron, was like the high priest. Eventually he became the high priest. And every family member that came from their tribe, their their grandpa was Levi. And Levi, the tribe of Levi is the Levites, and they are the ones who are the priests. The priests. And so the covenant of works has some distinctive characteristics to it. It's conditional, it requires a mediator, and it involves blood. Blood. As the English say, it's a bloody covenant. (laughs) That's my best English accent right there. How'd I do, Ellie? <laughs> the truth is, all covenants were bloody in that culture. You have to understand the culture. All the covenants were bloody. It's, it's, it, we, hand, we shake hands. You want to make an agreement? We shake hands. Right? I said before, y'all, let's shake hands. All right? Or, no, no, we've got to have a signature. A signature is required to make this official. Buy a house, buy a car, sign your name. But back then, what they did was they took an animal and they cut it in half and they separated it into two parts. They put one part over here and another part over here, and the two parties would walk between the two parts. And there's blood all over, get it? I mean, it's the reality. And they would walk through it, basically in essence saying to one another, if either of us backs out on this promise, then that's what's going to happen to us. That's how serious it was. That was the commitment they were making in this promise. So that was the understanding of how to make a promise. Two parties come into agreement, sacrifice, blood, walk between it. This is what happens to us if we don't obey or honor the promise. Now Moses says this in Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8. I say all that so you don't get grossed out by what's going to happen next. Verse 7, Moses took the book of that covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, well, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. They didn't, they didn't do so good at that. We, we know that. We'll see that. Verse 8, Moses then, to sort of ratify this covenant, took the blood threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Aren't you glad that I don't do that here at Life of Purpose? I try so hard to fill up the first few rows. I invite you all the time. If I start throwing blood, it's never going to happen. You're going to keep getting farther and farther back. Next thing you know, you're going to be on Harper listening in. I won't ever throw blood on you, I promise. So to, to to kind of say it a, a little bit better is in the he, book of Hebrews, Hebrews nine. Hebrews is such a wonderful book of helping us understand what what transpired, so that we can grasp even greater the covenant of grace. But in Hebrews eight or nine, let me read this to you. Therefore, the writer says, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Blood's important. For even when, when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, which he did in Exodus um, 24 there, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and, and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tents and all the vessels used in the worship. We're going to see that as we move along here in Exodus. Exodus. And then he says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And if you haven't already, please highlight or underline this in your Bible. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is a huge, important truth for us. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is the way that God has designed forgiveness. There has to be blood shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You kind of understand it, perhaps, in a greater way than you ever have before. You understand that it's about a promise. And then, of course, God is going to set up a system of of sacrifice for forgiveness. But that's a really important verse. So what do we understand about the covenant of works? It's based on a person's actions. It requires them to keep coming back to be forgiven. Keep coming back. You can't approach God unless you have a mediator. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, what you grasp about the covenant of works, I am not a fan of this covenant. (laughs) Are you? Do you like this covenant where you have to keep coming to God, you have to have a mediator, it's conditional based on what you do? I mean, this is not, to me, I don't want to have to keep coming back, keep kind of proving myself to, basically what we're saying is, why would you want to earn God's love over and over and over again? Why would you want to live by the covenant of works which says you have to earn God's love? I don't know why anybody would want that. But here's the reality. Half of Christians are living by the covenant of works. And you say, how do you know that? How do you know it's half? Well, I did a little research. And I found a a credible study that basically says this. The majority of people, it's actually 52%, who describe themselves as Christians, so we're talking about Christians here, they accept a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. God will accept me if I earn it. That's what half of Protestant Christians live by, the covenant of works. And by the way, if you're Catholic, the number jumps to 70% because of what is being taught there, that you are... Earning your way to God. Earning his love. That's a lot of Christians that think God only accepts them if they do good. It's kind of sad. You don't earn God's love. So I thank God that there is another covenant. There is the covenant of grace. And let me just show you how each one of those individuals that we've already talked about received the covenant of grace even as they experienced the covenant of works. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. What happened after Adam and Eve disobeyed? They were kicked out of this garden. They had a new life that they had to you know, now kind of navigate. But in Genesis 3.15, we see that God says, from Eve will come a Savior. The covenant of grace is introduced in the very beginning. Grace shows up in Genesis 3.15. Her offspring will bring grace. Then we go to Genesis 6 in Noah. Noah was that righteous and blameless guy. He walked with God. And so some people would believe, wow, Noah was just one of a kind. Everybody else, gone. Noah, he was good. No, he wasn't. He was a sinner just like you and me. In fact, he proved it after they came out of the ark. So why did Noah... Why why was Noah saved on the ark? Well, if you read the text in Genesis 6, it says Noah found favor from the Lord. Guess what the word favor is? Grace. Noah found grace from the Lord. The covenant of grace. Then we go to Genesis 15, and we talk about Abraham. Abraham was the beginning of the nation of Israel. He was promised a child from his wife Sarah. And This promise that came to Abraham came in a very fascinating way, a very interesting way, and you have to see it. It's very important that you see it, and I brought this up once before. You know how the two parties would normally walk through the two animal parts? Well, Abraham had a dream, and in this dream, what he saw was these two animal parts and what he thought would have been himself and God walking through because he was giving them this promise he didn't see verse 17 Genesis 15 when the Sun had gone down it was dark and behold a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces God passed through the two parts by himself and that shows to Abraham and to us that God's promise for him was unconditional It didn't depend on Abraham. It was all God. It was unconditional. Abraham did not have to earn God's favor or earn his love by his works. In fact, the Bible clearly says Abraham was considered righteous by his faith, by grace alone. And this is really the main difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. The main difference is one's conditional, the other one's unconditional. Grace is unconditional. Even Moses understood this need for the covenant of grace. When you read the book of... Whoops, did I lose? Uh Uh-oh. This might be awkward for some... Okay, am I back? So, where was I? (laughs) Deuteronomy. Moses preaches his final sermon. That's the book of Deuteronomy. It's one big sermon. And in Deuteronomy, he kind of recaps everything that happened. But what he says in Deuteronomy 29.4 is the fact that he realizes this covenant of works is not going to work. He says in verse 4, "To this day the Lord has given you a heart has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear." He has experienced this these people for 40 years. He has been wandering around the desert with them for 40 years and they are not getting it. Their heart is not changing, they are not seeing it, they are not hearing it. It's not working. So he realizes, "Man, we need something different than this covenant of works. We need a covenant of grace." And that's when he says, And it's very interesting that he says it way before anyone else said it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. He says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so you will love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and you will live. Boy, that sounds awfully familiar if you read the New Testament. So Moses understood the need for the covenant of grace. He he understood it required a new heart. And so Ezekiel then says, in chapter 36, many years later, Ezekiel hears the word from the Lord, and he says, I will give you a new heart, and I will give you a new spirit and put it within you. I will take away your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart. And I put my spirit in you so you can walk in my statues and be careful to obey all my rules." Clearly you can't do it on your own, so I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit so you can do it. And who else said this? Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet said in verse chapter 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The prophets understood a new covenant was coming. The new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. This covenant is not like the one I made with your fathers, (laughs) because they broke it. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't do it. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. That's powerful. The whole Old Testament closes then with this hope of a new covenant. When will God give this new covenant, this better covenant? A covenant that doesn't require me to earn God's love by What I do. That I can just receive it. But it's going to need a new heart, and you're going to need a mediator. A new mediator. Because Moses was a a good mediator, but of the covenant of works. So now they need a new mediator. So we come back to Hebrews. Hebrews is that wonderful help for us. And we see who is the new mediator. I'm going to zip through a few verses. 7.22. Who's the new mediator? guarantor of the better covenant, Jesus. 8.6, Christ obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old because the covenant he mediates is better. It's enacted on better promises. Chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Those who are called can receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems... That was his death on the cross. That redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And Paul probably says it best in First Timothy, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the new mediator. And remember, in order to enact a new promise, things got to get bloody. I think it was Jesus who shed his blood on the cross. In fact, listen to his words in Luke twenty-two twenty. Sitting around before the communion, he says to them specifically, "This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood." Do you see what he's saying to them? They didn't quite grasp it at the time because he had not gone to the cross yet. But what he's saying to them is, "Is that I'm the new covenant, grace, and grace happens." When blood is shed, and I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to shed my blood. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 1:7, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of what, church? His grace. So over and over in the New Testament, we see through Jesus Christ, we have this covenant of grace. He's the only one. He's our mediator. Through him, we can draw near to God. Hebrews again. Brothers, we have confidence. This is speaking to us as the church today. We can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now remember, before this, only the priests could do it. Only the priests could go into the holy of holies, behind that curtain set up, which we'll see when we see Moses build the tabernacle. But now, we can enter this holy place. The new and living way opened up through the curtain, through his flesh, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So how do we get this new heart? Let's finish with this thought. We have a a new mediator in Jesus Christ. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins. Everything's set up for us to have this wonderful covenant of grace in our life so we can receive God's love. We don't have to earn it anymore. But we need a new heart. How do we get a new heart, this new heart that, 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 that Jeremiah prophesied about all those years ago? How do we get that? Well, Jesus says in John 3, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born. You've got to have the Holy Spirit living in you so you can have a new heart. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, then you are all set. Now you can receive God's love. By grace. You can't do it on your own. You can't make it happen. It's sola gratia. Grace alone. Paul says these three verses, which, I mean, beautiful verses. Mark these as well. Ephesians 2, verse 8. By grace alone you have been saved through faith alone. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. You can't earn it. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. Covenant of grace versus the covenant of works. And what a wonderful gift that grace is. Amen? Yeah. And you have to constantly remind yourself of this truth because as I began this, you may have been trying to earn God's love because of what you experienced as a child. And now you need to remind yourself over and over and over again with the truth. Renew your mind with the truth that God loves you unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. I don't care if half of Christians in America are trying to earn God's love. You don't have to because now you know the truth. And the truth is that you have grace and you can receive His love by His grace. And then... When you receive his love by his grace, you will do verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God has already prepared for you so you can walk in them. Why do you do good works? Because of grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. It's a powerful word, and it takes time to really, truly resonate in our hearts and minds. But when we understand it completely, when we receive your love by grace, and we stop trying to earn it, Lord, there's freedom. There's freedom. And I can't wait, Lord, for next week to talk about that freedom that comes, that we see in 2 Corinthians 3. God, you are awesome. Your word is awesome. We love you. We praise your name for the covenant of grace. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Let's stand and worship.